Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 283 of the Fun With Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcast, or episode 17 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the president and CEO of Roush Family Taxi Service, Christopher Roush. And it's Roush <laughs> Family Taxi Service, even though it's Christopher Roush. There's irony in that, isn't there? Yeah, sure. Uh, that's exactly what I do these days. I drive my, uh, my children around. As most, most parents of my age do. As the president and CEO, I imagine that you have, you know, elaborate marketing uh, presentations and, and, you know, P&L charts to look at and all kinds of things. So <laughs> please don't, don't uh, be bashful about your work. Should we talk about Formula One? It is Monday morning, May 3rd. Chris and I are going to talk about the Portuguese Grand Prix at Portimao. Chris, where shall we begin? Um, so I guess the, the big news before the race weekend really got going was the fact that Hamilton announced he's going to be back for next year. He went uh, he went and did the Pirelli 18-inch uh, tyre test at Imola after that Grand Prix and uh, basically uh, said in the press conference uh, on the Thursday that, uh, yeah, he plans to be back in 22. So that was quite big news. Was it? I mean, it's good that it's official, but I mean, were you surprised by that? Well, he signed a one-year deal, and although there was murmurings that uh, they would talk about a deal beyond uh, this year, uh, nothing was for sure. And you know, there was some some rumours circulating that maybe maybe he was getting to a point where he thought, you know, if I win an eighth title this year, maybe I, I walk away at the top. So it's interesting that he's now already in his mind uh, seems to be committed for at least another season beyond this one. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's totally fair. Then he went on and did not secure his 100th pole. No, he did not. He got beaten by seven thousandths of a second by his teammate, uh, Mr. Botas. Yeah, it was interesting. So let's talk about qualifying for a minute, because the first thing that struck me about it was how much the windy conditions were throwing people off. Um, first of all, it seemed like the early stage of the qualifying session for whatever reason was quicker than the latter stages because no one in the top, top group, you know, the top few drivers were able to improve on their early lap set in Q3. Yeah, I think the fastest lap of all three qualifying sessions was set by Hamilton in Q2 on medium compound tires. So that in itself is pretty strange. All weekend, the, the conditions were quite windy. The track was fairly low grip. And uh, the tires were, were taking a while to, to get up to temperature. So there were some pretty odd strategies and, and some weird things going on in qualifying. And we had a pretty, uh, you know, some pretty outstanding or, or surprising results, not least of which was Stroll and Ricardo both going out in Q1 and with Ricardo over a second slower than Lando. Uh, so that was uh, an early shock. And then we had in, we had in Q2, we had uh, Sonoda and Alonso go out and... Uh, Ocon at that time in Q2 was fourth quickest. So that was also quite a shock. And, and we also had George Russell up in 11th, uh, only five hundredths of a second off uh, getting into Q3. So it was a really, really strange session. Uh, and then in, in the final well, portion of qualifying... Well, you're burying the lead there, Chris. Uh-huh. Uh, Vettel, Vettel out-qualified Lance Stroll. Well, yeah, Stroll was out in Q1. Not only did Vettel out-qualify him, Vettel got into Q3. Exactly right. And the, the interesting backstory there is Aston Martin brought some upgrades to uh, Portugal, but only uh, enough for one car. And 
Stroll got them apparently by dint of being, you know, the leading championship contender, not because he is, his dad owns the team or anything. So um, <laughs> he 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 got the upgrades. Vettel did not, and yet Vettel, you know, we started to see a little bit of of the old four time world champion Sebastian Vettel, which is which is fantastic, and he put it into into Q three. Uh, it didn't really go much further than that. He qualified tenth, but but a really promising turn of uh, events for him uh, maybe uh, he's going to start to put behind his awful season f- uh, with Ferrari last season and uh, and start to make some some headway I mean it was it was the start of something at least I mean all kidding aside right it would there was something that he could look towards and say yeah that's a real accomplishment as opposed to just one kind of like no 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 you have to give me time to get used to the car but you know there's like okay there there were sparks of something yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it, it's signs of uh, signs of life, isn't it? <laughs> Otherwise, it was going to be a pretty rough year, and you couldn't see him really going beyond this year if, if he kept getting blown away by Stroll consistently. So, so definitely, Seb's obviously getting a bit more comfortable in the car and starting to perform where we know he can. So, but yeah, Q three was interesting. We had uh, the two Mercedes out on on the soft compound for their first runs. Uh, both should have been beaten by Verstappen, but he. Uh, exceeded track limits so his first run was uh, which would have, would have been good enough for pole was deleted then we had the mercedes switch to the medium compound tires and they weren't able to improve their times and verstappen uh, wasn't able to replicate his first run um, in q3 and, and ended up third on the grid so it it makes you wonder i mean do you do you think that was just a coincidence or was where he exceeded track limits was that what was helping him gain a little bit of time. Uh, the track limits was just generally throughout the weekend. The track limits were super bizarre this weekend, and that actually dogged Verstappen more than once. Yeah, I, I think the track definitely slowed for for everybody between Q2 and Q3, um, and no one really set uh, the same sort of times that, you know, you normally see a progression throughout the qualifying sessions, right? And normally Q3 is the quickest, but that didn't really happen for whatever reason in uh, in Portimao. So um, it wasn't too surprising given that the Mercedes, I mean, Hamilton couldn't replicate his Q2 medium time uh, in Q3 either. Well, so yeah, four tenths off. So, yeah, it was a strange old session. Um, I think if you look at uh, what led to, to Verstappen running wide, he had a moment um, which he had to catch. And, and so he just went over the curb a little bit too far. I, but um, I don't think I don't think he saved or, or he probably hurt his lap time more than gained by exceeding track limits there. So you would have thought a clean lap would have been comfortably on pole uh, with the Mercedes guys not improving. But that's the way it ended up. So it looked, I mean, it was a surprise to see a Mercedes uh, front row lockout. We then had the two Red Bulls lining up uh, second and third with Perez doing a decent job to to comfortably qualify uh, clear of the midfield. And then we had Carlos Sainz out qualifying Leclerc, which was surprising. And then we had Ocon next up. Um, so um, sixth on the grid ahead of Lando Norris. So really interesting top 10 with the Alpines looking restored to their midfield pace from last season. I mean, really, Alonso also exceeded track limits and got himself into trouble uh, in Q2. But both Alpines seemed much more competitive this weekend. And uh, that was evidenced by Ocon getting sixth sixth place. So, uh, And then rounding out the top 10, we had Leclerc, Gasly and Vettel. So really interesting order. 
Yeah, and I wanted to touch on that just a moment, uh, not to stick on Vettel and Aston Martin too long, but where do you think, truly, after we've had three Grand Prix here, Aston Martin does not seem to be in very good shape this year, just generally speaking, I mean, honestly. I think you started down this path in the last uh, Formula One pod, didn't you? I mean, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Strolls. And I'm trying to, and I'm trying to <laughs> prove my point and like see job done. I'm, I'm trying to get my bottle of gin back. So Stroll, you know, didn't do terribly badly in the first two races, and they scored solid points. And certainly, Aston Martin were the slowest of the midfield teams this weekend in Portimao. That's that's absolutely true. But I think you know there may be some track characteristics uh, that that. Uh, we know, or you know, it's been said that the, the track certainly suited Alpine more um, than the than the first two of the year. Uh, so I think you're going to see the midfield is so tight that you're going to see, you know, the, the the number of slow, medium, fast corners and 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 the general layout of the circuit influencing that midfield order. And I think we'll uh, we'll see Aston Martin up higher at different racetracks as we go through the season. But there's no doubt that a lot of teams brought up grades this weekend. Aston Martin clearly tried to do the same, but couldn't get it on both cars. So that's also going to influence the the running order a little bit, right? With upgraded cars versus them only only having one one car with those upgrades and and that one being at the back of the field. So for whatever reason, Stroll didn't hook it up. So that, that was, I mean, he was out of position relative to where he normally is. You know, he's he's normally should be in the in Q three or at least up uh, up the grid in eleventh or twelfth. That was way way lower than he should have been. So I, I think it's too soon to make that determination. But you're right; they're under pressure, and the midfield's only getting more competitive, not less. That's right. And you know, just as you were saying, you know, Alpine seems to be in a, a more competitive place this year than they were this time last year. Um, obviously, uh, the Alpha Tauri is looking pretty darn strong and they've got a driver lineup that people are pretty excited about although Sonoto I would say was uh, you know a little bit more typical rookie this Grand Prix so yeah there's a lot going on in the midfield before we move on from quali I will just give a little bit of kudos to Botas because we don't we don't praise him that often so that was the 17th pole position for Valtteri and that ties uh in the all-time list with jackie stewart that's pretty cool i i I tell you what i'd be pretty proud if i could say i had as many pole positions as jackie stewart wouldn't you three-time world champion (laughs) yeah absolutely 100 percent. i i always get a little like i always wave a yellow flag at these things you know now that we're having 20 plus races a year it's a lot more about the ratio of pole positions and race wins and things like that than it is about just the sheer number because Obviously, Botas had so many more opportunities, and right. it's also worth remembering that Jackie Stewart had a purposefully short racing career. He cut it off when he was just in his prime, and he did so because of safety concerns, and in the era he was racing, rightfully so, of course, right? So 100% you're right, and that is a high honor to achieve. Um, of course, it's not Nico Rosberg good, but it's okay. But uh, there's always, in seriousness, there's always those caveats you have to remember. Yeah, I mean, but but to just continue with the praise for a second, I mean, to out-qualify Hamilton, who would have got his 100th pole position if he'd been just a little bit quicker, is no mean feat. And so, you know, he and bounced back And in these difficult a, conditions, just as we were stating, right? 
Yeah, and he bounced back from a rough Imola weekend, right, where he was didn't qualify well and had a tough race. So it was important for him to to show some pace and, and uh, get his you know title challenge back on track. And you know, pole position definitely you know looked looked like a promising first step um, as we as we will come to discuss. Uh, it didn't go so well in the race for him, but at least you know it shows that Valtteri is is not giving up and, and is going to fight hard. And uh, and contend for for poles with this you know fierce battle between Hamilton and Verstappen. He certainly wants to get uh, in the mix from time to time. Well, I do. I hope this doesn't throw you off too badly because I do. I feel like we're kind of on the subject of difficult laps and also with um, track limits being a thing to think about. Right at the end of the race, Botas did end up securing the fastest lap of the race, and he did end up on the podium. And he ended up getting fastest lap because Max Verstappen's true fastest lap was deleted because he exceeded track limits again. And he was made aware of that by Paul DeResta while he was being interviewed about his second place finish, which was, I felt bad for Paul DeResta to have to be the one to break the news. And you could see... He took it well, though, Max, didn't he? He, I, I, he looked he was, pretty pissed to me. Well, but his reaction could have been a lot worse than it was on live television. So I thought he, you know, a sign of maturity. But sorry. Oh, I, oh I sure, sure, sure. No, he, he reacted totally professionally. But I, you could see just how, like, tense his face got, I thought. Yeah, I mean, in this instance, I think he did gain an advantage. He ran very wide at turn 14. I saw it, actually, while, while he was setting the lap. So I think that probably would have because the gap between I can't remember how much it was but it was less than a hundredth I think between yeah, him and yeah, it was Paltry for the yeah so I think that's where that sort of marginal gain would would definitely tip it in his favor so I think it's right you've got to have some track limits I did think it got Mercedes off the hook because they made a really I thought quite key mistake there considering you know the game at the end of the race was let's all bolt on some some softs and try and, and get fastest that that started with Perez, then Mercedes obviously put uh, Botas on on softs as well, which then allowed uh, Verstappen to pit and get softs. Um, if Mercedes had kept Botas out for an extra lap, um, then uh, Verstappen would have run out of time, and then he would have comfortably Botas would have comfortably got uh, fastest lap. And um, as it was, Mercedes opened the door to to allow Red Bull to do the same trick, and and Max, you know, missed an open goal there, really. So I yep. thought that was a slight uncharacteristic mistake. So Mercedes definitely have some operational issues. Their, their pit stops were significantly inferior, particularly for Botas than Red Bulls. Absolutely. And then you know that that type of muddy thinking, where yes, you might as well go for the fastest lap, but make sure you're you know you can you can hold Max because Max obviously couldn't pit before Valtteri uh, committed to doing it. So therefore, you you can determine when or if he has that opportunity. And Mercedes, I think, made a mistake there, but uh, but it, but they got away with it. But I think we should rewind and, and talk about the start because it was a pretty. I mean, certainly the first half of the race was pretty good. I thought. Yes, absolutely. Uh, save for the best driver in Formula One history, Kimi Raikkonen, and what <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure. Listen, he's obviously, being the most talented driver in Formula 1 history, he's obviously more talented than I am. But I'm pretty sure I would not have just rear-ended my teammate on the straightaway. <laughs> yeah, it was weird, wasn't it? Because the start was pretty innocuous. We didn't have too much uh, 
uh, too many spins, too many collisions uh, at the at the start, and then we get yeah, to the I end mean, of a few folks lap ran one. Wide, things like that. Nothing. Yeah, nothing usual major. stuff. Yeah, and then we get to the end of lap one, and we got the two alphas running together. And as you said, I mean, he just uh, he just drove straight into the back of his uh, teammate. And so I've heard that he was adjusting something on the wheel. Now I don't know if that's uh, Alfa Romeo's attempts to save his blushes or what, but <laughs> I mean, it was it was. It, it was a rookie error. How many Grand Prix is he up to now? 6,412. <laughs> there was a number that was, I think, 16,000. It was like laps run in Formula One racing. It was a crazy high number. But I, the other, it was, it was two levels of surprise for me, though, because it's like, okay, yeah, he took out his front wing, clipped it and stuff like that. But there's no reason that he couldn't have limped the car into the pits gotten a new wing and carried on he would have been a lap down but maybe could have you know you never know how a race unfolds right so i didn't understand the interest in just parking it right away the way he did yeah that's a good question i didn't really i didn't really think too much about that and i don't i didn't see anything about why why he did retire the car at that point i don't know if there was more damage to the front end than was just a a front wing replacement but um but yeah that's a good point but i guess more interestingly, the restart then then did reshuffle the pack a little bit. So, uh, and it was uh, it was an interesting restart by Valtteri. This this you know typically we're used to seeing the lead car sort of get the jump on everyone with a couple of corners of the lap left uh, once the safety cars pulled in. But Valtteri's now patented this new approach of just crawling onto the main start finish straight before nailing it. So nobody really has a clue when he's going to go. And he completely caught Hamilton out and Verstappen uh, was on it and completely mugged Hamilton and uh, and got a very nice pass to take second place. And then Norris, uh, well, I mean, there was really good dices all the way through the top 10. Norris managed to get uh, uh, Perez, although there was some argument about whether or not that was legally or not, but certainly he, he had the place. And then there was some pretty good battles also with uh, Charles Leclerc getting a couple of places and, and George Russell <laughs> tumbling down the order from his 11th place, which he'd managed to held, uh, hold off the start. But uh, from the re- from the safety car restart, he lost three or four places on that first uh, restart lap. So a lot, of, a lot of mixing up immediately after the safety car. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And I thought it was uh, Lando once again really, really shining. Uh, he just had you know solid qualifying, but then just fantastic race pace and race performance. So he did really well. I thought that Perez is you know showing showing signs of being able to like get his feet underneath him a little bit. He wasn't a race winning contender though. He did lead the race for quite a number of laps. Uh, due to his uh, uh, expertise in tire management. But, you know, he was there. He was there in the top four, top five, the entire Grand Prix. You know, there there wasn't this, you know, we talk about like the Alex Albon or Pierre Gasly when he was there, where they'd really just end up deep in the mid-pack for some bizarre reason. And, you know, Sergio avoided that. He was with the front runners the entire Grand Prix. And this is his third third race in. So to me, though, that that was a hopeful sign. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely correct. He he is putting the car where it at least deserves to be. So that's fourth on the grid and fourth uh, 
finishing with with obviously no mechanical issues or nothing nothing untoward happening so he's already outperforming what Gasly and, and Albon were able to do so certainly that was the right decision I think so far by Red Bull and you can see already um, in the Constructors Championship you know how how much tighter it is because the second car is actually being put where it should be and yeah he didn't he didn't get too far down the midfield battle did he i mean he had to deal with norris but he dealt with him um on merit without having the fia call uh, norris out for his off-track pass and exactly so right. he got the yep. car back to where it was but unfortunately for perez by the time he was in clean air the, the, the front three had disappeared and he was never really in their race and as you said he did lead but only really because they ran him on a really really long first stint which i'm not entirely convinced that was a real reason for doing that i mean it uh even if a safety card come out he wasn't going to retain the lead because hamilton you know as we'll we'll discuss i mean hamilton caught and passed him before he, he stopped so you know there, no, there was no scenario in the race that was going to keep that lead for him uh, so it did seem like a little bit you know you're not whether or not you're optimizing your strategy running that long on one on your first set I don't know is, is questionable but but whatever I mean they, they got the fourth place for Perez and, and it was a it was a good solid weekend from him yeah absolutely so let's talk um, let's talk just a little bit more about Botas before we get into the championship contenders a little bit more uh, uh-huh how how did you feel about his race? You know, he started from pole. He had his, you know, you know, new trademark uh, restart uh, strategy that did work for him. It did not work for the team, perhaps, but it worked for him. But clearly his race pace wasn't quite there when compared to Hamilton's. And there were even a few moments where Verstappen was starting to threaten even when uh, Verstappen was ahead even with um, Mercedes having clearly more horsepower or less drag, but probably more power down the front straight of, at Portimao? Well, I think he was... His his pace, certainly in the first stint on the mediums, wasn't great, was it? it um, he wasn't able to put any clear air between him uh, and Verstappen uh, or Hamilton. Um, and so that, that meant he was under pressure. Obviously, he lost first place uh, on track when Hamilton passed him um, Verstappen and the Red Bull Honda with the shorter DRS zone uh, meant that he could keep Verstappen behind him so Verstappen was close and pressured him for many many laps but could never never make a move into turn one so Bottas had enough pace to keep Verstappen bottled up and then during the pit stops his his pit stop was about a second longer than Verstappen's and so he got caught on cold hard tires where Verstappen had already done a lap on his and made a mistake and, and Max was able to make the pass com- comfortably but where I, I thought that Valtteri was a little bit unlucky was he fell to maybe what about three four seconds off Max after their pit stops but then was quicker on the hard tyres than Max was and close to about one and a half seconds. And I thought, here we go, we could actually have a battle for second place here. When he then had an exhaust sensor issue that cost him, the, the gap went out to about four or five seconds. Yeah, I think it was and, over five uh, seconds at one point, yeah. Yeah, and that basically killed his effort to get second place uh, because he was never he was never going to then reel Max in and, and, uh, and pass him uh, with, I think there was what, less than less than 15 laps to go after that uh, sensor issue so 
his, certainly his pace on the mediums wasn't wasn't awesome. Uh, but then, you know, he did seem to come come to life a little bit on the hard compound tires. It looked like the Mercedes was performing a little bit better on the hards than, than the Red Bull. And he was making use of that. So it wasn't a terrible race by Valtteri. I think he was, he had a bit of misfortune. And, you know, we've known for some time that his race pace isn't as good as Hamilton's. So he was always going to struggle. And given that the tracks allow overtaking these days with the with the help of DRS, then... You know, he was always going to he was always going to struggle to keep at least Hamilton behind him, if not uh, Hamilton and Verstappen. And the racing between Hamilton and Botas when Hamilton did overtake him, that seemed entirely clean to me. Um, nothing, nothing wrong there. And, you know, Botas put up a little bit of defense, but not much one. I mean, I think he knew the inevitable was happening. Yeah, I think a lot of drivers defending at the end of the straight were trying to take an, a tighter uh, line into turn one that ultimately meant them giving up the p- position it wasn't really working the the inside line was it in defending you needed to you needed to sort of try and take middle ground and force uh, and carry more speed through turn one because that tight line was just too slow and it allowed um, not only Hamilton but other drivers were able to make passes around the outside through turn one too I think we should rewind though a little bit I mean the the interesting thing that played out was well, obviously we had mm-hmm. before we rewind sorry uh, there is one just mentioning the inside line uh, not working. It, it definitely did not work for uh, Nikita Mazepin when he was trying to defend his position from being lapped while Sergio Perez was in the lead, which was just laughable on so many levels. And the fact that it was Mazepin just, oh boy, was that just the cream on top? Yeah, the inside line, outside line, middle line didn't work for the key to a weekend, I think you'll find. No, nor did ignoring blue flags. <laughs> yeah, it's another really rough rough weekend for him. Uh, he's he's really struggling, isn't he? So anyway, but please carry on, Chris. Yeah, so after the safety car, we had Botas, Verstappen and Hamilton, and they were running in, in close order, and Max was looking very feisty, well, running well within a second of, of Valtteri and getting DRS twice a lap and it looked like he was you know trying to find um, a way to make the pass even though you know he didn't quite have enough speed down the straight uh, to make the obvious pass into turn one but he was getting you know very close um, but Hamilton was was staying within the DRS range of of Max and so obviously Hamilton wasn't able to make a straightforward pass on Max because Max had DRS uh, benefit uh, because he was running close to Botas. So, that, you know, it was interesting to see if anyone was going to make a pass at anyone at one point. And then Max, pushing really hard toward the end of the lap, got a little squirrely, lost some pace through thirteen fourteen, and so um, got onto the main straight with Hamilton right on his gearbox, and, and Hamilton was able to make the move. Now, Max defended pretty robustly. He moved to the right, forcing Hamilton right over to the right-hand side of the track, but uh, Hamilton nailed it and... Uh, and with a really nice clean pass. I mean, one of the things that struck me after the race was, you know, there's really four championship contenders uh, this year. If you think about the four drivers in the, in the best two cars and Hamilton passed all of his three major title rivals in that race. You know, he started off with passing Verstappen, then then nailed Botas and then actually ended up passing Perez for the lead. So that's, that's a pretty big statement by Hamilton, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, clearly, <laughs> he's still he he hasn't aged out of championship contention just yet, has he? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean Hamilton's performance was impeccable. I thought I, I you know 
he he once again showed just how much of a standout driver he really is and it is really enticing to see this championship battle unfold between Verstappen and Hamilton you know early indications is that Hamilton once again has the, has the edge and obviously there's still just a mountain of things that can happen but it is just amazing to see just how close it is after three rounds I mean, what was interesting for me was that once Hamilton got in the lead, you sort of expected him to pull away quite quickly, but he didn't. I mean, he, he was eking out a tenth here, a couple of tenths there, and he managed to get the gap out to almost four seconds by lap 35. But he wasn't, he wasn't able to pull away um, as fast as you might you know, think, given, his, uh, given how closely he was able to run to both Bottas and, and Verstappen prior to the overtakes. So it was, it was definitely the pace between the three of them was, was tight. I do think that Mercedes had a slight advantage over Red Bull this weekend, especially on the harder compound tyres, given the strange low grip nature of the track. But, you know, Verstappen fought all the way and, and it was a good move to get him up to second with the, with the early quick pit stop. I mean, Red Bull's pit stops are phenomenal. Absolutely well, amazing. They had one under two seconds, yeah. Yeah. What did you think about Daniel Ricciardo? Started 16th, finished 9th, got some points out of it, salvaged the weekend, I would say. When you compare to his young and rock star level, a teammate, it's he's starting to get you know shadowed a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, I noticed that so Ricardo Alonso and Stroll, all who had tough qualifying positions, had got up to fifth, sixth, and seventh on lap thirty-five uh, before um, they made their one one stop. Um, so they had made good progress running long on their on their first stint, and obviously they had the advantage of tire selection, whereas a lot of the top ten were starting on the softs because that's what they qualified uh, in Q2 on. And so they had the better tire to begin with and they made good use of it, all three of them. But, I mean, you know, it was a typically, you know, good feisty uh, fight back for Ricardo. You know, he's, he hasn't become a bad driver um, from switching to McLaren, has he? But he's certainly struggling to get fully to grips with the McLaren. You know, I think, you know, given, given going out in Q1, I think finishing ninth is not a bad uh, salvage job. I would totally agree with that. And again, he, he showed a good race craft. Absolutely. And, you know, you have those advantages being able to select tire. You take them. But I, th- it is a good reminder of how sensitive these cars are to tire choice. And I have to say that I was surprised at the conservative choices they made for Portimao. You know, it's not a heavy aggregate. It's not a harsh aggregate track. And it seems like we should have had a two-stop race here, if not a three-stop. I, I don't understand how we ended up at a one-stop. I think Hamilton was quoted pre-race saying that, you know, with one stop, we could probably do a race and a half distance with the tires we have. Yeah, but, you know, honestly, I think the, the, the way the tires were working probably helped the racing because you'll remember that early on, we had three cars running within two seconds of each other. And, and following very closely, normally on a regular track with the softer compound tires, you will get significant tire degradation. You can't follow the car in front that closely without uh, damaging your, your tires. Okay. So in this instance, we were able to see, uh, you know, drivers follow each other closely for multiple laps without damaging their tires. And I think that was actually quite good. I mean, honestly, if we could have this, this tire characteristic for more Grand Prix, I think it would benefit the racing. 
not 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 worsen it. So so I, I didn't have a problem with that at all. Yeah, okay, that's fair. It took that Hamilton. You know, he, he'd run twenty laps. It was lap twenty when he passed Bottas on a on a regular uh, Grand Prix circuit with the way the Pirellis normally function. His tires would be shot at that point, running within a second of your teammate for for twenty odd laps. Yes, but I mean, the, but the counter argument would be that be there'd be more racing brought to us via different pit strategies, more pit stops, and those types of things. Obviously, I agree that on-track passes, on-track racing is by far the most desirable, but I was surprised at how easy it was to carry these tires on as long as they did. And, you know, some of these some of these guys running on the soft compound still did, you know, quite... I think Lance Stroll might have been one of them. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at remembering these things. Um, but someone was on the softs for a good third plus of the race, starting with full fuel and everything. And that still wasn't an issue. To me, I I absolutely respect your point there, but I think I would have rather have seen more uh, pit strategy uh, entered into this race as well. That's, that's quite surprising, to be honest. I mean, I prefer to see cars passing each other on the track, not in the pits. So I'm shocked that you, you have that viewpoint. Next thing you're going to tell me, you like Canadian race drivers. Yeah, but when when they're passing in the pits, they're going slower, so it's easier to see them. So <laughs> it you don't have to like look you you don't have you can you get you get time to look and have a better sense of what's going on. Plus <laughs> that gives the TV commentators more time to explain exactly what's going on. And if if a lot of people are in the pits, you have time to go get yourself a second cup of tea. I mean, <laughs> to me this is this is an open shut case here. I would have thought your pitcher of iced tea would all be ready to go. So I'm not against on track racing, Chris. But I'm just saying, you know, this, I, this, you know, easy one stop. And the only, you know, these guys doing pit stops because they're mandatory to change compounds and blah blah blah, and they do one stop. To me, that's kind of like defeating the point of pit stops a little bit. I mean, if that's the case, why mandate pit stops at all? Just say, yeah, stop if you want, and don't stop if you don't want. That's how it used to be. And they used to have 20-second uh, pit stops, too. I mean, we can go right back if you want. But I don't know. I mean, I like I like seeing... I always enjoy it when you've got different teams and drivers trying different combinations of things. So you sometimes have people trying one-stoppers, some doing two-stoppers, right? I mean, we used to, you know, even even a triple-stop and, and people using different compound tyres and the degradation varying d- d- depending on the compound. I mean, that's all. That, that adds some variety. But I also like having tracks where people can actually pass on track rather than it all having to be done in the pit lane. If you can get the magic formula that allows all of those things to happen, then I think that would be the best result. Unfortunately, too often we either have the you know the on track passing being too easy, or or the tire the tires dominating and all the passing going on in the pit lane. So you know I thought Portimao had a good mix, had a little bit of everything, didn't it? I think the on track passing was reasonably good. I was a little bit disappointed that. Uh, DRS wasn't a little bit more functional than it was, but you know that's those are pretty thin slices. Of, you know, getting pretty nuanced is like why wasn't why wasn't it precisely this way? So no, generally speaking, I thought it was a great race. I love that racetrack. I love just how dynamic inherently that track is, and it's I think it's a beautiful circuit just for the camera shots to set up a lot of cars coming over crests to enter into the shots. You. You can even see these Formula One cars, which have 
the extremely efficient body control. You can see these cars clearly flexing and unsettled bodies as they go over the bumps and ridges and things. So just visually, it's a very beautiful track to to watch the spectacle of racing. So there's a lot of good things about it. I'm just, you know, I'm splitting hairs here because that's my job, Chris. And um, and uh, they did not they did not split hairs correctly here. They did bad splitting. What did you think of Ferrari's performance? Yeah, I was just going to come on to that. So yeah, Norris had a, a fairly easy run to fifth place, really. I think he, he controlled that nicely and didn't ever look very threatened. But beyond Norris, the bottom half of the top 10, Charles won out and got the sixth place. But, um, you know, it, it, it was hard to tell who was going to actually win that battle because at one point Carlos Sainz was in there. We had Ocon quite feisty. Um, uh, but Charles Charles won out in the end. Um, and what fascinated... So, I mean, I thought... You know, certainly the the strategy worked for for Leclerc. Uh, Saints uh, ending up in eleventh place. Um, he he definitely picked the wrong tire strategy, didn't he? And he basically, uh, I think, he tried to run uh, on softs to the end of the race, and and it was too much for them. So so everyone else had switched to either if they were on soft. I think most of them went to hards or mediums. But or maybe he went to mediums instead of hards. So I may be mistaken there. But certainly he went he chose a softer compound for the second half of the race than many of the other people around him and and, it, and he paid the price and, and finished outside the points. But I mean overall as one of the drivers that has switched teams and therefore still getting adjusted, you know, out qualifying uh, Charles was no mean feat and Ferrari pace certainly looks like they're they're in the thick of the midfield battle although you know as we've talked about it's changing a lot um Charles put in his typically good solid drive got sixth so uh scored some decent points for Ferrari and then with the two Alpines in seventh and eighth what surprised me was uh how close Alonso got to Ocon he was less than two seconds behind him at the end of the race so Alonso was flying absolutely um in the Grand Prix making up for his lamentable qualifying position um, so, you know, I think we're going to see a good battle now uh, with Alpine a bit more respectable between those two. And, and uh, maybe we'll see Alonso capture some of his former glory. Well, and now we're going to a racetrack in just a few days time that all these drivers know and know pretty darn well, because it's it's the place uh, with so much testing in its history, though it was Bahrain um, preseason this year. Um, is there anything else to talk about Portimao before we talk about the them going to Spain in just a few days? Uh, what did you make of the, the Michael Schumacher Nicholas Latifi battle? Uh, Mick Schumacher Latifi battle. I'm sorry. It was nice to see. It was nice to see. I thought. Uh, I thought it was nice, and I thought uh, Mick did a good job at the end. Yeah, I mean Latifi handed it to him, didn't he? But um, well, you know, I mean just... at the end. I, I, it's, there were several laps leading up to it, and then when oh, put Mick pressure, was properly yeah. close, absolutely Latifi didn't str- didn't fight it. But they were scrapping back and forth with each other pretty well. I mean, there was it was really fascinating because they were racing each other, but had to deal with lap traffic on the other end. So when and how did Mick Schumacher let people pass him that were lapping him versus how uh, Latifi did? That was so it was fascinating to get that kind of perspective of it a little bit here they are racing each other but then oh boy we got to let these people through so i thought it was fascinating i but i i appreciated having seen that racing and i thought at the i thought mick did a good job maybe the pass itself was easy but you know catching him and putting the pressure on 
Yeah, I mean, kudos to the producers for actually showing us some, some lower order racing because I think that's we all like to see a bit of wheel to wheel. And it was great to see the Haz and Williams on, on the screen for a change. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, certainly Schumacher had a, a good solid weekend, clean weekend, obviously shaded Mazepan comfortably. And, you know, he's obviously the race pace of the Haz is much closer to the Williams race pace. And so was able to... To, to, to pick one of those off. So, yeah, fair well, play to him. Well, in Schumacher's be... hands, it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so he wasn't quite up there with Russell. Uh, it looks like the battle between Alfa Romeo, Williams, and Haas is going to be quite interesting to see who can who could score the odd point here or there to, to, to uh, secure eighth uh, rather than ninth or tenth. Because, I mean, Alfa Romeo finished in 12th with Giovinazzi, um, you know, Russell, we talked about his astonishing 11th on the grid, but uh, certainly the Williams on race pace and in dirty air doesn't seem to be that competitive at all relative to the midfield. So um, it's going to be interesting to see who wins that battle. Um, signs of life at Williams. They certainly are making progress, at least on one lap pace. Um, and you have to say that Haas aren't out of it entirely, given that, you know, Schumacher demonstrated he can outperform a Williams over a race distance. So it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, no, I'm, I I agree with you there. I I still think that Haas is going to be. My prediction is Haas will be tenth uh, in that in that uh, tally. But uh, y- y- you're right that the, it'll be nice to see that there is a little bit of racing to be had even further down the order. Um, so what do you think about Spain? They have that recontoured turn six, but this is not a traditionally. Uh, enthusiastic. It's, this race is usually a little bit uh, more of a snoozer than the others. Yeah, we haven't had great Spanish Grand Prix um, in the past, have we? Hopefully that reconfiguration will help. Um, but but uh, I, I haven't seen the temperatures. I don't know how hot it's going to be. I mean, certainly Mercedes were helped a little bit this, uh, this past weekend by the cooler temperatures in Portugal. I think if we have a hot Barcelona... Uh, that might favour Red Bull. So hopefully we'll we'll have some more good racing. I mean, it's been a cracker with, with the top two. I mean, Hamilton and Verstappen have now broken away from the rest of the field for their fight for the championship. And we've had some great uh, battles between them in the first three Grand Prix. So I'm hoping it'll continue in, in Spain. And, um, you know, there was actually two IndyCar races over this same weekend. And um, a big congratulations to six-time IndyCar champion, and veteran uh, driver Scott Dixon, who won in, on Saturday, and to uh, Padu Award, who took the win on Sunday. And it, it was, uh, you know, it, very different. You know, these were, this was uh, Texas Motor Speedway. That's one and a half mile oval. And they did a doubleheader, a Saturday and Sunday race. But, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, middle of May because we've got. Uh, Formula One coming up again just in a few days' time, so we'll stick to Formula One for now, but we'll catch up on IndyCar ahead of the Indianapolis 500. Well, I can combine the two for you if you like. There was a really interesting uh, article that came out before Portimao that Zach Brown has made a bet with Pato Award that if he won a race in the IndyCar Championship this year, uh, he would get an end-of-season test in the McLaren at Abu Dhabi. And they, they were asking they were asking Norris and uh, Ricardo about that, and Danny was like, "Oh yeah, great. I, that's one test I don't have to do." So you know, good on him. And, and so you know, he commented on on some of the talent that's in IndyCar this season. 
and um, and seemed quite excited about it. So guess what Pato Award went and did, as you just described, he went and won an IndyCar race. So um, I guess he's gonna he's gonna see if Zach Brown was uh, was serious and will honor his bet. Uh, that's great news to hear, and I want and think there deserves to be some more IndyCar Formula One cross pollinization. Um, you know, you and I have discussed this multiple times, and I feel like we're on similar ground, if not the same ground. And hopefully we can uh, shuck uh, the past in a little bit. I mean, because what we're seeing more recently these days is uh, Formula One drivers that struggled in Formula One are coming to IndyCar. And you know, they're doing okay, but they're not standouts. There was that kind of Alex Zanardi situation where he struggled in Formula One, came to IndyCar and crushed it. And people are like, oh, well, here, there's, your, there's your clear example there. But we've had enough uh, Romain Grosjean's. Um, and uh, folks uh, Mac, like that Max coming. Chilton, yeah. <laughs> Max Chilton, um, and uh, folks along those. Uh, there's a uh, oh, the, he was oh, geez, the Erickson, er- Erickson yes, well. yes, Marcus yeah. Erickson, exactly right. The racing would be interesting to see just a little bit more of that, and uh, yeah, be interesting to see. Anyway, for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. Check out my YouTube channel, please, please, please. That is at youtube.com slash C slash Robin Warner. My most recent video was up just this morning. It is the BMW M3 competition. It has 503 horsepower. It is not slow. And please, of course, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash FWCars. Anyway, Chris, thank you so much for a lovely morning chat. Thank you, Robin. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.